Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome along to Rice's Routine, the show where we take a little sneak peek inside the working day of some of the planet's most successful authors. Now this week, our guest is Lucy Foley. Her new novel is The Guest List, and it's a proper whodunit. It's a fantastic twist on all the classic crime mysteries that have gone before. It's set on a remote island at the wedding of the year. And we hear why she made that decision to uh, lock her guests away in the middle of all the, uh, the heightened drama that weddings bring. Now, she also used to work in publishing as an editor, so we find out what that taught her about how to actually write a story. And we talk about why she's a wasteful writer, but she's fine with it. She is perfectly happy to kill her darlings. I have to feel my way around a story and almost write scenes that ultimately will be cut, will end up on the cutting room floor, in order to understand those characters better and understand the plot. So it's almost... You know, I just have to kind of kill those darlings at the end, but they have to be there, they have to be written. Loads more fantastic chatter just like that on the way with Lucy Foley in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello, welcome along. My name is Dan Simpson. Uh, This week, our guest sharing her writer's routine, Lucy Foley. I, I think this is her fifth book, She's written across genres as well. Three historical novels before this one, and then last year she released her first crime novel, The Fantastic, uh, The Hunting Party, which was inspired by a remote location in Scotland. And this new one, it treads a similar path. Uh, Have a listen, here's the blurb. Guests are called to a remote island off the Irish coast to celebrate the wedding of the year, uh, the marriage of Jules and Will. Everything has been meticulously planned. The scene is set. Old friends are back together. I'm giving this quite the beans, actually. Uh, It should be the perfect day, until the discovery of a body signals the perfect murder. You've got a groom with a secret, a bridesmaid with a grudge, a plus one with a motive, a best man with a past. It could be any of them, it could be all of them, but one guest won't make it out alive. That is a blurb that does hook you in right away, doesn't it? And it, it takes a really amazing twist on the classic whodunit. I mean, you've just heard there in the blurb that there are some similar themes that we are dealing with here and they are locked away on an island as, as a lot of fantastic uh, mystery whodunits are. But we find out why she's done it and, and how she's slightly twisted the ideas. 
We also talk about how writing this second whodunit was tougher than the first. When you've ploughed all your ideas into the hunting party, what do you do with the guest list? We'll find out in a little bit. And, and also the book plays with form. It tells the story uh, through each different character and you find things out uh, as they do. They've all got their own little chapter. We also talk about the rather decadent writing day that Lucy has, uh, what she knows about the story when she starts, and why she is perfectly happy to overwrite and overwrite and overwrite some more. It's all on the way. It's, I think it's a fantastic chat. Lucy really got on board with it. Uh, so let's kick it off. And we start, as always, with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. There are several different places um, I sit down to write. Actually, I suppose they've got one thing in common. They're normally always coffee shops. Um, so there's coffee, there's people, there's lots of like tasty snacks. Um, it's perfect. Why coffee shops? I like, I think I like that background noise, that buzz. I like people watching. I'm nosy. As a writer, I think you're an innately nosy person. Um, I like the constant supply of caffeine. I don't actually really like being at my desk at home with silence and like a blinking cursor on the screen in front of me um, until I come to the edit stage and then I need like total silence. Uh, and what do you take with you? If you're at a multitude of different coffee shops, what is the constant that you have with it? Is it just your laptop? What's going on for you? So I always have my like trusty backpack um, and uh, because I learned that carrying a tote bag with your laptop in and one arm and like bag mm. full of other stuff is not good for your back. So always that. And then I've normally got either my laptop or actually often just my notebook um if I really want to like separate myself out from the rest of the world and just focus on the book then um then just scribbling by hand is better so but you're writing on a laptop most of the time aren't you I'm often it sounds really slow but I'm often writing longhand first and then typing it up um yeah. Okay. <laughs> why? Why do you think that is? What? Why? Why are you persisting with the the longhand the method? Longhand. I think it's that it feels less intimidating. So I know that I can just scribble stuff down. I write sort of um, double spaced, almost like used to do with exam papers, so that I can kind of go in and write other things if I want to, in 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 between. Um, I can scribble things out. If I don't get the word right, even I can put it in brackets, and now I can come back to it and and you know rewrite it but it's more at that stage it's more about just getting the words down getting the word count up and then when I then come to type that up I can almost edit everything that I've written so it's as though every word is being written twice already so by the time it's actually on the computer it's been written twice so when you do you write the full story in a notepad before you even think of putting it up in into a computer no because I've learned that the hard way I lost a whole notebook once so I'm quite a disorganized person and I lost a whole notebook so that was probably the equivalent of I don't even want to think about it like 20,000 words um so I try and do it as I go along um yeah, that's that, that's no, no, that's perfectly fine. It's just I'm 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 curious as to how the system is developing as you go along. What it's are you? Not, I wouldn't really. I think system, system. would be too kind a word. <laughs> developing um, even. It's my sort of organised chaos, I would say. <laughs> well, it's clearly working. Um, and when you're typing it up into your laptop, what are you using? What are you writing onto? Um, so I write in Scrivener. So I put it straight into there. I used to actually um, write into kind of Word documents and then copy and paste them into Scrivener, which is this um, app. It's this writing app. It's amazing. And then I can sort of almost modulise those scenes so they become 
kind of individual modules that I can move around uh, so I can see exactly where everything is because I don't write chronologically. So this is more organized chaos. I just write, I've heard one writer describe it as um, eating all the toppings off the pizza. So that's essentially what I do. I like eat all the best bits or I eat all the bits that I know that I really want to, I, I can see first, if you know what I mean, in my head. I'm taking this metaphor very long way. <laughs> um, but um, that just works best for me. And then I kind of come in and fill, fill in the blanks around those. So again, like kind of organized chaos, I would say. Um, but uh, I mean, I suppose when I first started writing, I'd come from an office job. I worked in publishing. So I was very much, I had this idea that I had to be at my desk from nine to six and kind of working, you know, doing mm. proper work. And then I realized actually for me, that wasn't particularly creative. That didn't help me actually get the words down. And so now what I do is I have a word count that I want to get to every day. And some days that will take me the entire day, you know, it'll take me much longer than nine to six. And some days it'll take me, I don't know, for some reason, there's just like a writing magic happening that day and it'll take me like an hour to get the words down. And then and then I'm quite kind of kind with myself, I think. I just sort of let myself do some reading. Like I even go to the cinema if I want to, if I've had one of those days. How decadent. It's so decadent. I love it. But I but I in my head it's all it's all kind of it's all storytelling. It's all kind of part of the process. How many words do you tend to get done a day? Two thousand. Two thousand. I've got more questions on the day, but you mentioned that when you tried to write nine to six to lock yourself in, mm. you found that wasn't best for the, for the creativity. How did you realise that? I think just the fact that I was spending a lot of time sitting there staring into space, waiting for inspiration to strike. And I think... Um, when I when I actually had a couple of days almost by accident, you know, when maybe I had a meeting with my publisher and I'd come into town and I sort of was wandering around doing all sorts of other stuff and then grabbed an hour in a coffee shop or uh, an hour in a bar or something, I've written in bars before. Um, actually, I found that I was able to sort of get my writing done much more quickly and I was sort of more inspired. Um, it's weird. So what time do you start every day? I try, I'm definitely a morning person, so I try to start by about nine. I think if I haven't started by about nine, I feel a bit itchy. Because um, I think we're both morning people. I mean, we're recording this right now. It doesn't it's even 10... sound that early, nine o'clock. To anyone with kids, they'd be like, oh, please, like, come no. on. <laughs> but it's 25 past 10 right now, and yeah. I think it's both evident that we're morning people um, because we're both quite alive right now. I think so. I've I have had a coffee, well, like two coffees. But... I've, and, but again, that's a morning person trait. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done these things in about four. If you're listening to this and I'm sounding tired, it's because it's about two. And there's kind of, yeah. you know, oh, so, the sometimes. Post lunch slump. Can't I've learned that as well. So that is, yeah, I have to avoid that. So so you start writing at about nine. Yeah. Is there a consistent coffee shop that you go to? I have particular favourites. So there's one in Streatham, um, it's called Bricks and Gal, and it's just, for whatever reason, it's just perfect. They're lovely in there. There's a good, there's a good amount of space. You're not kind of overly bothered for your next order, but at the same time, not cheeky. You know, I don't make one coffee last the whole day, but you know, you want you want the right number of people, the right amount of noise. It's very, very specific things, but quite intangible things. You only know when you know, if you know what I mean, when you're sitting there. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, the guilt, the guilt of 
how many coffees do I have to buy to justify me stealing their internet and their power? I know, I know. There's that awful scene in Fleabag, I don't know if you've seen it, where the guy comes in and he plugs in like all his devices and he doesn't even order anything. (laughs) It's so painful. And any writer who works in coffee shops watching that, I feel, would be quite guilty seeing that. But um, uh, no, I mean, to be honest, the steady supply of caffeine helps. So, you know, like one every couple of hours. Otherwise, I'd be kind of jittering everywhere let me investigate your day further so you've got there you're writing at about nine o'clock mm. um do, do you apart from going to the cinema you know maybe having a leisurely walk <laughs> in the afternoon rare. like every so often as a treat that's okay that's fine <laughs> you, you you can do what you want um do you tend to book other things out in your day knowing that a tight timeline works for you if you think right if i'm going to start at nine maybe yeah. if i book a meeting in for 12 I've got two hours of concentrated writing time. No, I do. I think I do do that. Or, you know, go for lunch with an author friend or something and break up the day. Um, and perhaps that comes from the fact that when I wrote my first book, I was writing, I was working, sorry, full time. So actually, I had to be really efficient about it. And when I came to write my second book, I was like, I've got all this time. I always don't know what to do with it. And anyone who is kind of self-employed or anyone, to be honest, who spent the day working from home will realise how quickly that day goes, you know, if you don't have this sort of routine to it. So I think um, blocking things out does really help. Um, When you finish your words every day, when you've got Mm. to your 2000, whenever that is, uh, if you've taken yourself off for another trip to the cinema, uh, (laughs) when you get back... Uh, do, do, do you give your story a second thought or is that it's done for the no, day? it's done. I mean, I'm always thinking about the story, but I wouldn't go back and edit. I'm not one of those people. I couldn't do that. That would kill it dead for me. I mean, I think I just want to scrap everything I'd written. So for me, it works better to just get everything down and come back to look at it at a later date but and start the next day actually on a, on a, fresh, on a fresh sheet um, with a new bit of the story. I reckon my last question about the day, is there any little quirk that you've learnt works best for you? Something small, something that you need? Do you need, you know, another cup of coffee at a certain time? Uh, do you need a certain music in your headphones? Do you um, do you like to start, Philip Pullman does this, I think, where he writes one line of the next day's work just to help. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's that's probably one of my biggest things is remembering to leave something in the tank. So... Even when you're having one of those days where you feel, well, I feel like I could write 4,000 words. You know, it's like I might have written my 2,000 words in quite a short amount of time. I know that it's much better in the long term if I actually leave that for the following day, if I sort of leave that fresh to come to. So I've got something to kind of hand myself for the next day, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Are you always dedicated to doing that or will you occasionally slip it over to 3,000 words? I'm um, probably not. I mean, I think it's, it's not so much that, oh, I don't know, I'm quite lazy, I think. So if I've got to my 2,000 words, I'm like, right, that's it, I'm done. I'm free, <laughs> I'm off. Are you um, writing every day throughout the week? Not at the weekend. I tend not to. Um, I think mainly because when I wrote the first book, I was writing weekends. I was writing kind of in all of my spare time and it wasn't great for like my kind of relationships (laughs) in my life. So, um, you know, you need your free time and you need, I think it's almost like that thing of, you know, your best ideas come to you in the shower or when you're doing something totally inane. You need that kind of time doing other things to let, let ideas percolate so that you come to your desk. Well, personally I do. So I come to my desk on a Monday feeling fresh. 
I mean, I really thought that editing would help me edit my own work, but I don't think that's the case. I think what it mainly gave me was an understanding of the importance of a really good edit. But also with that first book, how polished it needed to be before it went off. Um, But I think... You know, I mean, I came to writing from being a reader, from being like a professional reader, I suppose. And I've always tried to approach it um, by writing the book that I as a reader would want to read, if that makes sense, that I as an editor would want to discover on my desk, you know, would want to be sent by an agent. And what are those stories? What do editors want to be sent by agents? I know know that's wide ranging because there's so many different editors that want so many different things. But what... What is it boiled down to? What are the, the, the key points of what uh, prospective writers should be sending to their agents who then send it to editors? Really great, confident storytelling. I know it sounds really nebulous, but, you know, in any genre, um, and I read across genres. I don't think in terms of genre as a reader, and I think almost in publishing we're probably too hung up on genre because I think what readers want is just a really good story well told, unless you are one of those people that just reads fantasy, just reads crime and thriller. Um really powerful characterization um uh and great plot i mean (laughs) what's not to love you know writing two thousand words a day Mm. i imagine you've probably got your writing year pretty down as in you know exactly when you need to hit your words by what certain point can we can we talk through a year yeah because this is your second (laughs) this is your second thriller book your fifth published book yeah which means you're getting to the stage of being prolific God, no, really? I mean, you're, you're gonna, <laughs> it doesn't you're, feel like No, it. you're getting that way. Um, so talk to me about this. When, when all this is done, I don't know where you are in the, in the next book, but when, all, when the guest list is over with, <laughs> when you need to have a story, for, uh, an idea for a new story, mm. how does that year look? When will, in a year, when will you start? When will you finish your first draft? When will you hope to get that in? So I'm on quite tight deadlines at the moment, but I think a tight deadline works best for me. I think if I had a two-year deadline, I would just kind of footle around for a year and then be like, oh God, I actually need to start thinking Imagine about Imagine the this. films that you get to the cinema to see though. Oh my God. I'd Every be afternoon. Su- I would be such a film buff. Um, but uh, yeah, I managed to see quite a few as it is. But <laughs> um, So I would say it's probably about a year, but that would actually be from almost putting pen to paper to pretty much the final draft so that's not just to a first draft that is to like the final draft that is going off to be copy edited really so how long will your first draft take you so two so two thousand words Probably a day. Six months. This is the thing. If you do if you do the maths and you say two thousand words a day. That's ten thousand a week. Then yeah, you, you should you have, should have, you should have a weeks. first draft in eight weeks. This is the thing. I was telling someone this the other day and they were like, Oh my god, you could write like <laughs> six books a year or yeah. something. Um unfortunately I'm quite maybe it's my process of writing things in notebooks and you know, not editing particularly as I go along. But um, I'm quite a wasteful writer, I think. You know, I do. There is a lot of waste. But I almost think, for me, that's part of the process that needs to happen. What do you mean by a wasteful writer? That I think of those 2,000 words I write every day, the actual percentage of those that makes their way that make their way into the final book is probably quite depressingly small. So what? it might be like 500. So why, why do you words. think that is? If you If you... Being an editor back in the day, yeah. uh, so knowing what needs to be in, knowing what makes good storytelling, also knowing that you're a wasteful author. Um, is there any part of you that is trying to eradicate that, to be more efficient? Totally, all the time. And I, but, but for me, that's what works. So, you know, you find 
you find the way you work as a writer and you try you try doing things differently but actually you know I think that works for me and I have to sometimes I have to feel my way around a story and almost write scenes that ultimately will be cut will end up on the cutting room floor in order to understand those characters better and understand the plot so it's almost you know I just have to kind of kill those darlings at the end but they have to be there they have to be written if that makes sense. You said it's a year from starting writing to it all being done. Yeah. How much time do you tend to give yourself before you start writing to have that idea and to let it boil over? I mean, I think I'm normally thinking about it um, by the time I'm in the editing stage for the previous book. So, you know, it's not particularly creative stage, the editing stage. Well, actually, at the beginning, it can be very creative, especially when you need to make massive changes. But, um, you know, when you come towards the end, when you're sort of just crossing the t's and dotting the i's you've got a lot of space i think in that other part of your brain to start thinking about kind of new things and start Mm. creating and i'm normally desperate by that stage to get started on a new book you know it's it's there it's kind of perfect and whole and like glittering in the distance I'm like I just want to be there um so I think it's sort of been building at the back of my mind for a long time so almost at the point where I'm sort of finishing that final draft of the previous book I'm I'm ready I'm ready to get started I almost have to hold myself back and how much do you know about the next story before you start writing it so I always think I know loads I always think I've got the whole shape of it kind of planned out in my head and then I start writing and that all kind of goes to pot so um you know you start writers always say this annoying thing about like you realize characters wouldn't act in the way that you'd planned but it's so true you realize actually this doesn't quite make sense or there's a better way of doing this or actually this character who I thought was really peripheral can have a much bigger role here and and do something else that's much more interesting so um it always changes I mean I do I do try and plot quite carefully and I plot as I go along as well um but things always change but I think that's part of the excitement of writing I think leaving room for those sort of things that come in from left field those sort of exciting new developments is really important hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
We're back with more from Lucy Foley in just a sec. Let me very quickly just run through uh, what we've got on the show in the next few months. We are chatting to a fantastic uh, debut novelist, her Anne Yu. Her novel Braised Pork is a gripping, twisting tale. It's I think it's it's billed as one of the biggest debuts of the year in kind of the way that Sally Rooney was a few years ago. Different sorts of genres, but the same hype around the story she'll be coming on. Uh, we're also chatting to some historical historical fiction writers, uh, some debut crime writers. I've got a day soon, by the way, where I'm doing, I think, four different uh, crime authors in a day. So if you're into your, your psychological thrillers, you're in luck. I've got loads coming up for you. Uh, we're also chatting to one of Britain's best beer writers, which will be different. He writes brilliant travel logs and, and history, cultural history stories, uh, all about the history of, of food and of drink. He's won loads of awards and I recorded a fantastic chat with him a few weeks ago. He will be on this show soon. Uh, So if you want to say thank you for all that, if if any of the bits of advice that you've heard over the last 90 odd episodes has changed the way that you tell your stories, if it's helped out at all, please do um, pledge what you can over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. A little, I promise, a little goes a long way. I've got bits of merch that I can send just as a little thank you as well. Nothing too extravagant, just a little thing to show that you're part of the club. I'd love you to get involved. Uh, it just helps me, you know, carry on bringing you these episodes as frequently as I can. Uh, please do pledge what you can patreon.com forward slash writers routine right let's get back to it then with lucy foley chatting about her brand new fantastic novel called the guest list Uh, it's all about a groom with a secret a bridesmaid with a grudge a plus one with a motive a best man with a past it's about a murder uh, on a on a remote island at at an almost fantasy wedding that's the level of grandeur that's in this wedding and it all comes toppling down in the guest list in this half we talk about what she learned writing her second crime novel how she uh, carried on with that when she ploughed so much time energy and ideas into the first one we also talk about gimmicks and tropes because they're quite key aren't they with mystery who done it? There are certain things that you do like to see. So we find out how much Lucy played to type, what she wanted to keep from the classic Who Done It's, and what she wanted to change. Uh, and there's a lot of chat about potato chips and Pringles in that little bit. It's a bit strange, but go with it. Uh, and we pick things up talking about her ideas, the plot. And when she starts to see things appearing through the windscreen on that famous uh, story roadmap that for some reason I seem to love so much. I think they're pretty clear at the beginning. They all look clear and then things suddenly get a bit blurry (laughs) and then they clear again. So with the guest list, I had an idea of who done it. I knew who done it at the beginning, started writing. And then about halfway through, I was like, oh, no, no, this would be much better if this person done it. So I had this sort of goosebump moment where I was like, oh, no, that works so much better. Um, And it's still a fit. Like you could still, because everyone in the guest list has a really, I would say, hopefully, a really strong motive um, to murder um, all of the main suspects. So it still worked, but obviously there were things I needed to change. Um, But I think that was a really exciting moment. And I also slightly feel that if I didn't know when I started writing, it makes it less likely that the reader will be able to guess, I think. (laughs) What was that moment then? What made you realise, hang about, this person's a much better murderer? 
It's really hard to answer this question. It was all there. Because... I think often the thing with writing is the answers are all there, buried somewhere in the subtext or in the things you haven't written. And sometimes you kind of, it's like a magic eye. You need to sort of step back from it or you need to get a bit closer to actually see the whole thing emerge. Um, I often find that with the editing process, you know, my editor will suggest something and I think, oh my God, that's totally nuts. And then I'll spend 24 hours thinking about it. And I'll think, oh my God, that's genius. And it's there, it's all there, but I've been thinking about it in a totally different way. So um, yes, that's a very long winded way of saying... Yeah, I think sometimes you need to step back from it and allow allow things to take shape. With your 2000 words a day, how much do you know about what you are writing on that day before you start type before you start jotting it down? Um quite a bit. Like I I think it's always good to know just to know where you're going um and to sort of yeah, motivate yourself, you know, to know what scene you're writing um but I'll often start writing one scene and then think oh actually I've just had an idea from another scene this is why it's great writing a notebook because you can just kind of you know draw a line under that bit and start writing a different bit and say put this there and put this there um I'll often go back and start writing a, a different bit of another scene or I've got a bit that's not finished this is sounding very disorganized but it makes sense in my head <laughs> is there any form of organization in there is is there some of your plan written down have you got post-it notes have you oh got a yeah whiteboard? yeah I've got the whole so I've got it's very organized chaos okay so I've got <laughs> I've got the whole thing written out you know on on a board with post-its but then those post-its will move around quite a lot and things will change and um because the plot starts off in a way it starts off much more simple than the plots that actually you end up having so I think there are lots of sort of backstories that find their way in there and link up and you know with the hunting party I can very much like pinpoint it because I was driving up to Scotland with the guest list I think it was two separate points because one was about the location and one was about the setting <laughs> it's awful to say it but the setting came to me or the or the sorry the plot came to me at a wedding so I was at a wedding and uh there'd been a bit of drama I'm obviously not going to I'm going to try and keep this as anonymous as possible but I'd heard about a bit of drama in the wedding party and I just thought it just struck me I thought oh my god this is the perfect setting for a murder mystery because you've got all these different kind of um layers of friendship and family and kind of how well people know each other and you've got everyone gathered together in this quite intense sort of highly emotional situation which is wonderful but people can actually behave quite badly um and one of the things I sort of love about murder mysteries and writing them is that yeah they're really dark someone ends up getting murdered but you've also got this sort of a dark comedy in there almost this sort of social satire and I think nothing is more perfect for that than a wedding. There's this sort of campness to it that lends itself really well to a murder mystery. So then what happened next? You've got this idea in your brain. I want to write my next murder mystery at a wedding. Then what do you do? Where do you get the ideas? So then it was sort of, um, you know, starting to think, starting to develop that idea, thinking about how, you know, I mean, with a wedding, you've almost got this, perfect structure sort of set out before you so in a way I, I I didn't have to do as much sort of pure plotting in terms of the actual structure of the the day or the time frame as I did with the hunting party because 
with a wedding it's all there before you like you've got the rehearsal dinner the night before you've got kind of everyone getting ready you've got the wedding dinner you've got the best man's speech like you've got all these things to play with that are just like golden opportunities to dial up the tension um so I started thinking about how I could use those I started thinking how about the different um uh members of the wedding party could sort of be brought to bear and could could be suspects in themselves um I started thinking about the rehearsal dinner the night before and then of course I started thinking about location and I wanted again to set it somewhere very remote because I wanted this sort of pressure cooker situation um and I'd originally thought that I was going to set it on a Greek island and then my editor pointed out Mamma Mia Mamma Mia yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to think about that quite a lot and you know how is I going to make it sinister because in a way you're sort of you are sort of setting yourself up with a wedding because of its campness because of its sort of um slightly overblown nature how do you find the darkness in that you know and you need to find the darkness so it was difficult with a Greek island as well to do that <laughs> how much do you know about your characters before you sit down and write I, I know you said that they are want to do whatever they want yeah mm. they, they, they they go off in their own directions but you're speaking there about the standard characters that you have mm. at a wedding best man mm. bridesmaid father mm. of the bride um how much do you know about all these before you do start writing? I know them pretty well. I'd Especially say. for a character study, which kind of yeah, this is. No, I know them pretty well. Um, I mean, I'd say it sounds a bit odd, but I'd say I'd, I'd, I've had their voices in my head for a while. You know, so I've sort of been feeling before I before I put pen to paper, while I'm probably still doing the edits for the previous book, I started thinking about these people and getting a sense of who they are. And then, of course, when you put pen to paper, you do start to feel your way that much more into who they are as characters but um their voices for me are very clear in my head so it's just about making sure that that clarity that's in my head makes its way onto the page you're talking about the island it's that's almost a character in itself Mm. as is the storm i mean right on page one you almost um yeah talk about the storm as if it is Mm. this person Mm. can you tell me about that decision yeah of course so that was that so that was such a gift um really the setting uh and and that was sort of almost the second point of everything coming to me so that was I'd gone to um the west coast of Ireland with my husband for our anniversary and we got a ferry out to some of the islands um and think places like Inish Boffin in particular and it was just perfect it was just perfect you know they're 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 so dramatic so unique um they've got this really particular geography you realize that when you're looking west there's nothing between you and the Atlantic until you get to America like it's it's sort of crazy um and there is this feeling of sort of remoteness of sort of being kind of left behind by the rest of the world with with the ones that are uninhabited now um and I just thought this is perfect and the weather the crossing was really dramatic like really sketchy you know a lot of water coming over the bow of the ferry you know being thrown around it all felt quite sketchy um and then when we actually got to the island itself the wind was like this incredible physical force you know it had like a personality of its own you could sort of lean into it and not fall over and I just thought this is perfect you know and and wind is a funny element like it can there are parts of the world where the wind blows constantly and it sends people a bit mad like it's it's a recognized phenomenon so I just thought I need this wind that sort of element in there when it is so key to your story how do you do that justice with words on a page without being cliched um 
without you know indulging too much in prophetic fallacy and, and mm. stuff um how do you make this this real and this raw with just words on a page God, I mean, how long is a piece of string? It's so difficult. And, you know, I think it's particularly difficult in crime fiction because um, plot is so paramount and you want you want the reader to be turning the pages. You don't want to bore them with, like, massive, dense paragraphs of uh, description about the landscape and the scenery. And at the same time, it's really important. Um, so I think, um, for me, it's really interesting, actually. I remember Barry Forshaw, um, uh, who's a journalist and, um, right, yeah, you, you know, saying that he always felt that um, if he hadn't, if a, if a writer hadn't mentioned the landscape for kind of several pages or hadn't kind of given a sense of place, they'd forgotten something. So they'd forgotten where they were. And you, you are, you're constantly creating that world for the reader, but you have to do it in a very subtle, paired back way. So... Um, I think that's where you rely on your own editing skills and the skills of a good editor to tell you when you've gone too far and actually when you need to remind to remind the reader of where they are and what's going on. You, you don't want to be too cynical about these things. You don't want to have too many kind of gimmicks up your sleeve. But I think certainly keeping the chapters kind of short and snappy. I don't know if you've heard of like the potato chip rule, but there's this idea that you know when you're eating I think especially of Pringles like you always want another one so if but if you had like one massive Pringle <laughs> if you can picture that you might be done with it like after you'd finished it so it's that thing of like always keep the reader wanting the next chapter wanting the next scene so there's an element of that so I try not to go over a certain amount but then I don't want to be too prescriptive about it because if a certain scene needs a bit more breathing room, it needs a bit more breathing room. And, you know, there are certain set pieces so at the rehearsal dinner where it just needs more time on the page and, you tr- and you've got to trust the reader to, to go with you there and be gripped. If you're writing your chapters, quite a lot of them as these small bite-sized potato mm. chips, do you feel when you are writing them a sense of when you do need to move on to the next one? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's often pretty clear, but it's, it's something you have to feel you know, you have to sort of, obviously you've got the word count there, so you can tell mm. exactly how long it is. You know, is it 2,000 words or is it 3,000? Is that too long? But I think it's also, you've got a sense of actually, no, this is a complete thing in itself. This can go in the next chapter. Um, because you're telling your chapters <clears throat> mostly in uh, what what one character is thinking at this time, uh, and, and it, it does flip between characters and flips between times mm. uh, back and forth, are you conscious of the intention of what is happening in this chapter? Absolutely. So are you conscious of, right, in this chapter, this is what the bride needs to think come the end? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, you have to be totally in control in that sense. Um, and, and what are you giving the reader? What are you giving with one hand and sort of not taking away but not necessarily showing with the other, you know? Um, with so who- what subtext is there? Sorry. No, 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 no. Um, well, let's talk about the subtext. Mm. That's fascinating because when you've done something like a whodunit, when you've got all these characters who perhaps have a have a reason, have a motive, have, mm. a, have a secret, um, how much are you thinking, right, in, in this chapter, I need to get off my main plot line. Mm. I need to take it from A to B, but I also need to, you know, thread through the bottom, uh, these the, the subtext of what's really the going motive. on. But I can't yeah. do it too much. Yeah, I mean, constantly, you're constantly, it's a constant play between the two. You know, you're, you're kind of main thrust of your narrative and what you're sort of seeding in there. And I always think it's a bit like a scale, you know, you're, because, because you want 
the reader when they get to the end and they find out who done it you want them to know that if they go back they would see all those clues there like they'd be able to spot them all um but at the same time you don't want them to guess before the end so it's it's how much do you put on this weighing scales as it were and you're constantly kind of dropping things on and just hoping or testing that they're not gonna tip the scales too much um and that's probably the most difficult thing i think about writing a murder mystery um when you are writing a classic murder mystery a whodunit as this is how much are you thinking about what's in every murder mystery the, the the classic tropes that you need to put in there and how much are you also playing with the form um i don't think it's funny is i don't think there's anything that i feel i need to put in there other than a murder and a yeah. murder obviously <laughs> but i think you know i quite like i think i'm mainly about playing with the form um but at the same time obviously they are a kind of homage in a way to Agatha Christie and the golden age of detective fiction but um you know I think I think the wonderful thing is that the the best the best writers um of that sort of age were rule breakers so Agatha Christie was like a notorious rule breaker so something like uh the murder of Roger Ackroyd which is one of my favorite of her books is it breaks all the rules in a sense um so I think you can have a lot of fun with that when you've changed who the murderer is halfway through (laughs) Do you then have to go back and, and, and rewrite because you need to put in the red herrings? Are you always oh, yeah. putting the red herrings in oh, at the end? Oh, good. Oh, you're, you're putting them in the whole way through. You're taking them out as you go along. You're getting to the end. You're going back. You're taking them out. You're putting some in. You know, so it's a constant, like, fine-tuning. And that and that's something that you do yourself across several drafts. And it's also something you do with the help of your editor and perhaps a couple of beta readers. So, like, my main beta reader is my poor husband, who, I mean, is brutal. Like, he's so much more brutal than my editor you know when he does his he, he used to be a lawyer I mean he does his read through it's like god this is so like clang you you know I'd have lines in there saying god I could I'm so angry I could kill him <laughs> it's like that is so naff but at the time you, you sort of you, you don't realize what you're doing it's only when you come back and read it you're like wow that really clangs that stands out a mile and cringe it's much harder the second time around because you've used a lot of tricks in your first murder mystery um so probably more than i found you know writing my second historical you know there are particular tricks that you use i think when you're writing this sort of book that once you've used them you can't use them again so uh, you know going into writing the hunting party it was all very innocent and open and clear the way it was clear before me but with the guest list i had to be a bit more clever i think and these are a departure from the three books that you wrote before. before so there's kind of historical fiction books yeah um why the change of genre i think as i as i said before you know i'm a a, a really wide reader and i've always tried to write the book that i want to read um and i wanted to read like a modern take on a murder mystery a kind of golden age murder mystery so that's what i wrote um so that was that was it for me really um and i was lucky enough that my publishers were very understanding and like supported me in that you know and and liked the book um but I think there are probably you know obviously there are lots of differences but I think there are probably also a lot of similarities um between the books 
Um, and that means the the murder mysteries and the historicals. Like I think there's a there's an interest in character in place, um, place almost as a character in itself. Um, and and you know there were sort of they weren't thrillers the historicals, but there were mysteries to be solved. There, were, there was always a mystery at, at the heart of it, and there was some darkness there as well. Which begs the question: Do you see yourself? going and writing in another genre at a later time god yeah why not yeah I mean it was such a it was such a great confidence boost I think to to try writing in another genre and it you know hopefully having worked um that that was brilliant and and sort of opened up this whole new horizon for me I think and um I'd, I'd be really excited to try something else and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much for listening and thank you so much to lucy foley for coming on the show you can pick up a copy of her brand new brilliant the guest list right now if you love your classic whodunits you will not be disappointed by this one uh, we've got a link to it which you can find right now over at writersroutine.com while you're there do get in contact with the show as well you can send me an email uh, you can also leave a review for the show we'd love it if you can do that head over to apple podcasts and just drop five stars please if you're not going to leave us five stars then don't even bother but please five stars would be fantastic over on apple podcasts it really helps the people who need uh, the advice from our authors find the advice from our authors you can tell me whatever you like as well through twitter it's always great to uh, see you reacting to the shows uh, on there and retweeting us we are writers pod and pledge whatever you like i'd love it if you could do that that would honestly mean the world over at patreon.com forward slash writers routine now next week we are chatting to the brilliant up-and-coming writer with uh, what is billed to be one of the debuts of the year and you talking about her brand new braised pork it's on the way next week in writer's routine i'll see you then bye even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.